Well, today we finish up our series, Reset, and I think that a lot of people um, in fasting, I am surprised by the number of people that have come to me during this series and said, you know, I always gave up stuff for Lent, but I never realized I was, I was supposed to take that time, that energy, and that effort and spend it on Jesus. I thought I was just supposed to give something up. And my friend, if you're not, if you're not taking that energy and that effort and pointing it towards Jesus, then like I said the first week, you're just acting out of sheer willpower. And that's not, that, that's not glorifying God. That's just simply doing something, and you don't have to do that for Lent. You can do that any time of the year. But it's really about taking and setting that aside and saying, God, I need more of you in my life. I need more of you in my thoughts. I need more of you in my job, in my family, in my house. I need more of you. I think a lot of times we think that just because we get saved and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we think, well, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and so I'm good, and I don't need anything else. Let me me give you a little analogy. You might be at home, and your couch might catch on fire, and so you call the fire department. You have a fire in your house. But your house isn't baptized in fire unless the entire house is on fire. See, we think that we get the Holy Spirit, and the couch catches fire, and we have the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're good. That's not how it works. The Holy Spirit says, I come to baptize you in power, and I want to set you on fire. Most of us, too many of us, are content with the couch being on fire and not our entire lives being baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit and being on fire for Jesus. That's our problem. We think, I got the Holy Spirit, I'm good. You're not good, right? Like, it's like I told my father-in-law one time, I said, listen, I said, you're, you're just, you're opening up, it's like you have a side-by-side fridge and you open up the fridge portion and you get in the vegetable drawer and you're content with that. No offense, Father-in-law, but I'm opening up the freezer because that's where the ice cream is. Can you get to heaven on the vegetable drawer? Yes, you can. But honey, I came for the ice cream. Open up the freezer. And that's what our Christian life is about. Too many of us are content with the vegetable drawer. I'm not because I know God has more for me. And I'm not content just opening the vegetable drawer. Will you get to heaven? Yes. Will you live a good life? Yes. But God's got so much more. But you have to open up the freezer door and say, I'm not content with where I'm at. I want the good stuff. Amen? Yes, I just compared ice cream and vegetables. Right? We think we're good because we got saved and the couch is on fire. But the Holy Spirit said, I come to baptize you with fire so that your whole house is engulfed in me. Too many people want Jesus to be their savior. Jesus, save me. I'm in trouble. I need prayer. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me from my sickness. Jesus, save me. I need a job. And so when I get in trouble, I go to Jesus, and I, and I, and I want him to save me. But the Bible never separates Jesus the Savior from Jesus the Lord. He's Savior and Lord. You know what a Lord is? A Lord is one who controls everything in their domain. Jesus didn't come to save you. He came to save you and be your Lord and to control everything in your domain. Control your thought life, control your marriage, control your parenting. He wants to control every aspect of our lives, but we're too satisfied with just simply calling Jesus my Savior. We need a wake-up call is what we need to say, Jesus, I need you as Lord, not Savior. You saved me, that's good, but I need a Lord. I need somebody to come down and tell me how to do this. 
Because I've never lived this life. I've never been in this situation. I've never parented a kid like this. I've never had a job like this. I've never had a neighbor like this that keeps meddling in my stuff. I just said meddling, didn't I? Keeps meddling in my stuff and looking in my window and messing with me. I don't. Need, I need to know how to deal with this neighbor. I need you to be Lord, not Savior. Thanks for the Savior part. That's awesome, but I need a Lord. And the Bible never separates Savior and Lord. We try to in our culture. I just need a Savior. Just save me, and then I'll go on about my business. Thanks, I'm getting into heaven now. And Jesus is like, that's not how this contract, that's not how this plays out. If you call me in to be your Savior, I control everything from here on out. Okay, Jesus will control it. I'll go do whatever I want. So your employee controls you from 9 to 5. Can you just go do whatever you want? No, but we treat Jesus that way, right? Oh, I'm on the basketball team. Coach put me in so I can go do whatever I want. Is that going to work? Nope. It's not going to work in your life either. We tend to think that it works everywhere else, but then we don't want it to work in our life when it comes to Jesus. We want to be able to just do what we want, when we want, how we want. Well, (laughs) since when? The Bible never separates Savior and Lord. He saves you, and then he's in control. That's how it works. And he says, when I become your Lord, he goes, I'm going to produce in you more. I'm going to produce in you more than you could ever produce in yourself. Why? Because I know you better than you know yourself. I know your real motive why you did that. I know where your life is headed. I know where you think your life is headed, but I know where your life is really headed. I know how the decisions in your past are going to affect the decisions in your future. I know you better than you know yourself. So would you let me not just save you, but let me be your Lord. Let me control you. Move when I say move. Stop when I say stop. Yield when I say yield. Turn right, turn left. Listen, I can tell you multiple times in my own life, just simple, something simple as driving. I've been driving down the road, and God says turn left. God, it makes more sense, you know, straight point between A and B, right? Shortest point is a straight path or something. That's some geometry stuff that I nearly flunked in high school. But, right, it's a, I know I got that out of geometry. It's a straight point between A and B. And God says turn left. I'm like, I don't want to turn left. He goes, you better turn left. I turn left. And you know what I avoid? A wreck. I, I'm not kidding. It just happened two weeks ago. I was on 53rd Street in front of where H.H. Gregg used to be in Applebee's. And you know, there's like five lanes there and there's a turn lane in the middle. And the lady on my left apparently motioned this guy to cut across. Honey, I didn't even tell you this because I didn't want you to worry. And she, she motioned this guy and he, he came from oncoming traffic to turn into where H.H. Gregg or Pizza Hut is. He didn't see me and I'm coming barreling through at 40 miles an hour. And I'm about ready to T-bone this dude. I'm straight on T-boning, but here's the weird thing. I was in the left lane. She was in the turn lane. I was in the left lane. Then there's a right lane. And right as I'm coming up, before I even see him, Jesus, I sense in my spirit, get in the right lane. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing. I have to go straight on 53rd Street. But I hear in my spirit, get in the right lane. All right, I'll get in the right. I get in the, as I'm going over to the right lane, this guy comes straight across, and I'm doing one of these. And I see him, and I flip my wheel, and I turn sideways parallel, and we go right into the parking lot together. And I'm over looking at him like, gotcha. <laughs> right? It's the stuff that when God says, I'm your Lord, I'm in control of everything. I'm even in control which way you turn the steering wheel when I tell you to. And I remember I pulled in the parking lot, and I parked, and I, get my breath, get my breath, get my breath. Because I literally, I already heard, you know, like, 
there's nothing worse than the sound of crunching metal, right? I heard everybody, how many of you know that crunch sound? Yeah. I, I, before, when he came and I turned and I went and we whipped parallel and went, I mean, it was like out of, a, it was like out of need for speed or something. It was like, but we, yeah, you can laugh at that because that's what it was like. And I remember thinking, God wanted me not to hit that guy. And I obeyed. Had I not obeyed, I would have T-boned him. I heard the metal. I heard it all before it all happened. I saw it in my head instantly. I'm like, oh, this is not good. I whip at him, and as I'm parking there, he comes over, and he parks next to me. I'm like, oh, this guy's got some guts to come park next to me. (laughs) And I heard, because Jesus left me in Louisville when we were at Moe's, and I'm not going to share that story, but I jumped on the manager, but that's not the point. But Jesus was with me in this moment, and he said, Ty, grace, because we've all been there. I'm like, Jesus, when did you ever own a car? He's like, Ty. I'm like, all right. He comes up and he's like, I am so sorry. He goes, she waved me on. I didn't see. I thought it was clear. I thought she waved me on because it was clear. So I just went and I said, it's okay, man. It happens to all of us. I'm like, oh, snap. Jesus just told me that. I just spoke the words of Jesus, right, to this guy. I said, it's okay. I said, it happens to all of us. It's not a big deal. And he's like shaking. He's nervous. He's like probably 30 years old. And he's, you know, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's okay, dude. It's fine, right? It's not a problem. Are you okay? It's like, you're asking me if I'm okay? Like, I'm the one that pulled out in front of you? I said, yeah, are you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm fine. I said, all right. I said, then we're all good. I said, you have a good day, man. He's like, hey, you too. Right? The whole point of us resetting is is that so we can give Jesus more control of our life and grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And so today what we're going to talk about is growing in that fruit, growing in the patience and the love and the perseverance uh, and so so on. And so in the framework and the context of our passage, Jesus is progressively moving us to a point in the soils where he says, I need you to be like this. Do you notice that the first soil that we came across that first week, it was hard. The next soil was not hard, but it was shallow and rocky. The next soil was deeper for it to get root, but it was thorny and thistle and had weeds, and so we'd grow up, but the cares of the life, cares of life, Jesus said, choke us out. We'd rather go do other things and have more other things going on in our life than really focus on Jesus, and so those things choke that out. But he gets to the fourth soil, and he says, this is where you need to be. This is how your heart needs to be, and so it's a gradual growth, and if you, would, if you, think, about, if you think about how people plant seed, when you first put that seed in the bin, you're not planning on planting it there. You're planning on planting it out there. And so it's progressively listening, progressively growing more and more like Christ. And so in Mark chapter 4, 7, verses 7 and 20, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to Mark 4, 7 and 20. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Um, I'm sorry, not 7, verse 8. Mark 4, verse 8. It says, still Other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop. Some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. And then in verse 20, Jesus explains this part of the parable. He says, others 
like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. And so Jesus says, your heart is the, your heart is the soil. The, the scripture and the Holy Spirit, the word of God is the seed that goes into our heart. And in verse 20, he says here, right? We've talked about this a little bit. He said here, or think about this. I want you to think about this. The reason Jesus spoke in parables and analogies is he wants us to engage our brain. And he wants us to pray over it. And he wants us to think about it. Right? And so he goes, use your brain. Think about what this says. His disciples can't get it. They're like, you need to explain this to us. So he starts to explain it. And in verse 20, he says that others, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the word and, ex- and accept it. And the word accept is a compound Greek word. The first part of that word is para. So we get parachute, paracord. It simply means to pair up. P-A-R-A, para, to pair up, to pair alongside. It's where we get the word parasite. Maybe those parasites that cling on to the bottom of sharks as they're swimming. However you view this, para means to partner up with. The other part of that Greek word is dechomai. It means hospitality. Hospitality. How many of you met somebody that's hospitable? Let me see your hand. How many of you... How many of you, this is going to take some real self-awareness. How many of you are gifted with the spiritual gift? The Bible calls it a spiritual gift of hospitality. You love to have people in your house. You love to cook for people, etc. The Bible calls that a spiritual gift of hospitality. All right? And you grow. Just like any gift, you grow in that. I know my wife has it. She loves. She's like, we haven't had people over in a while. And she's like, starts going through withdrawal. She's like, we got to have people over. See, she's laughing. She knows it's true. She has hospitality withdrawal because it's, her spirit, it's one of her spiritual gifts. And if she can't have people over and cook for them and love on them and play games, she don't know what to do. Right? And I'm like, okay, well, of the two of us, I'm the extrovert. And you never know. She's an introvert. Um, it's weird that God would pair an introvert with that spiritual gift, but God does what only God can do. And so it means to... He says, when you hear the gospel and you receive the Holy Spirit and begin to walk in things, he says, you need to allow your heart to pair up with this thing called hospitality. Now, what happens when you're hospitable? Well, I can tell you because I live with a hospitable woman. And let me tell you what. She makes you come in, feel welcome. Mi casa, su casa, right? My house is your house. You, you do you know, just whatever you want to do, it's yours. Take a nap, lay down, you know, whatever. My house is your house. And so Jesus says, hear me. Think about this, that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you need to be hospitable to the Holy Spirit. You need to invite the Holy Spirit in and allow the Holy Spirit to control your life, to be Lord, controller. You say, well, I've already got the Holy Spirit in my life. Listen, let me, let me tell you something. We all got places in our house that you'll never let me go. You say, oh, pastor, come on over. We're going to feed you. We're going to be all nice and everything. Yeah, huh, but let me get up and walk in your bedroom, start going in your closet or go up in your attic. You'd be like, pastor, now stop. You just, you know, you've gone too far. You can't go there. You all know that you got stuff and closets and stuff that you want anybody else in. As nice and hospitable as you may be, you don't want people going there, Right? 
And we do that with the Holy Spirit. Hey, come into my life, but you can't touch that part of my life. You can't deal with me on that issue. You can't deal with me on my patience. You can't deal with me on the words I use. You can't deal with me on the stuff. Don't deal with me on that because I've, got, I've gotten comfortable there. I'm, comfor- I'm comfortable with that sin, so don't mess with that. But you can do anything else in my life that you want to do. Right? And Jesus says, when you invite the word of God into your life, you need to have the intent of hospitality. Jesus, do whatever in my life you want me to do. If you call me to the darkest, deepest jungle, I'm gone. I'll take my wife, I'll take my kids, I'll sell my house, and I'll leave my great job. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. It's full-on, complete hospitality. Now, for most of us, he won't ever call us to do that, right? To go to the deepest, darkest jungle and sell everything we have. But he has to know this word means I'm completely hospital, and if you call me to do that, I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes to serve you. And he says, those people that do that produce a crop. Have you ever noticed, do you ever see a farmer after he plants his corn, do you ever see him going down the rows and as the ears start to pop up out of the ground, he starts pulling on them? Is he ever like, come on, I get you to grow. And he's like pulling and he gets it up to about here and he goes, okay, you're good. Farmers don't do, you don't ever do that with a house plant. You don't ever do that with any plant. But we do it all the time in our life. I've got to force myself to read the Bible. I've got to force myself to pray. I've got to force myself to, I've got to pull on myself. I've got to pull on, I've got to, I've got to change, I've got to change what I'm doing on the outside to somehow affect the inside. A plant grows from the inside out. And the reason Jesus is using this parable, we are designed to grow from the inside out. But we want to get all this stuff on the outside to try to pull us. Right? A seed sits underneath the ground for so long. I forget how long it takes a bamboo shoot to grow, right? Like for a bamboo shoot to bust through the soil, it takes years, years. But once it reaches a certain stage above the soil, it will grow like, you're gonna have to Google this, okay? Because this isn't exactly right. But a bamboo shoot, once it's taken years to bust through the soil, it will grow like a foot in three hours. It's, that's probably an exaggeration, but it's close. A bamboo shoot will just, right? While other plants have already grown and they've already matured and, you know, that time frame that it takes a bamboo shoot to get 20 feet tall, every plant grows differently. Every plant matures differently. But every plant grows from the inside out not from the outside in. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, as we're talking about fruit, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says you're going to bear fruit. And I had a great question at the end of last week. Somebody asked me, it's okay, this whole, this whole concept of Christians growing fruit or we growing fruit is a church concept. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. I've never actually thought about that. This is a complete church concept. So what is, when Jesus talks about growing fruit in our lives, what is he talking about? Well, I believe it's twofold. And so I'm going to show you this morning how it's, I think it's twofold when it comes to growing fruit in our life. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. And he goes on in verse 20, 
um, and 21, and he talks about the acts of the flesh, the way the flesh will behave if you just let it do what it wants, okay? He says your flesh will spiral out of control and begin to do all this crazy stuff. But the second word he uses, the acts of the flesh. The word acts is the Greek word egron. It actually means works. The works of the flesh, right? The works of the flesh. The third definition of ergon is employment, employed. You're an employee of your flesh. When I go, I remember, you know, like when you work for a job or you work for an employee, employer and you're the employee, they own you. They're going to tell you what report they want ran. They're going to tell you which job site to go to. They're going to own you for that time. Now, they're going to pay you for that time. And the Bible makes no bones about it. There is pay for the works of the flesh. You are employed by the flesh to do what the flesh wants. We are all driven by these fleshly desires. Right? Like, what is today? Sunday? So, Friday night. I'm at Moe's in Louisville, and I order a burrito. My mom orders a burrito, and Isaiah orders a burrito. Now, we ordered two adults and one junior. My burrito was the same size as my son's, not my mom's. And I'm like, I just, we just paid for two adults and one kid, but you gave me two kids and one adult. Lynn's like eyebrows, she's shaking her head. She's like, I can't even believe you brought this up. I went up and I said, hey, you know, I, look, here's the receipt. Here's my burrito. Like, look, the size of the burrito, what I paid for. <laughs> the employee who will remain nameless had the gall to say, that's an adult burrito. No, we, that's what we made you. I'm like, you're right back. I bring up my mom's burrito, this big around, that long. My burrito, this big around, that long. And I put them side by side on the counter. And I said, so you're telling me this is an adult burrito? What's this then? Because I want this. They continued to tell me, well, it depends on what you put in it. it depends. I said, the length of the thing isn't even as long. This is not an adult burrito. Like, and I was getting like red and I was getting fired up. I'm like, and you charged me for this. And one of the guys just rolls his eyes and takes 75 cents out of the cash register and gives it to me. And I'm like, hmm, Jesus left. Honey, where's the clipboard? No, I'm just kidding. Right? For those of you that know the clipboard story. And so I was furious and I was angry. I'm like, there is no way. You know, it's, listen, it's one thing. It's one thing when a customer comes to you and says, this isn't right, and you try to make it right. But he had me say, for the difference is not making it right. Can we just, can I just say that? Right? That's not, I've managed a restaurant, and I'm telling you, that's not making it right. Say, you know what, you keep that burrito, and we'll go make you an adult one, and you can just have two. Right? That's making it right. But when they tried to tell me I was wrong, no, no, you don't, you don't do that. Who, who does that? 
Who runs a business and tells the customer they're wrong? Somebody who doesn't want to have a business for long, I guess, right? But the acts of the flesh were working, and I was working. I was under the employment of my flesh. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. And my mom's like, would you calm down? I have never seen you work this, this worked up before. I said, well, it's irritating. I've actually gave them proof. I put it in front of them, the receipt, and all three burritos. It's aggravating. And the work of the flesh, the rage, came out. It wasn't godly. It wasn't godly. Right? And so Paul says, he writes to the church at Galatia, and he says, when you don't give the Holy Spirit room and you're not hospitable to the Holy Spirit like Jesus says, the flesh will rise up and take control and cause you to say and do things that aren't even, you're like, where did that come from? It's because you're under the employment, Paul says. You're under the work of the flesh. Flesh produces works. The spirit produces fruit. Flesh produces works. The spirit produces fruit. You know the difference between somebody who has a relationship with Jesus and somebody who just goes to church and is religious? They work at it, and it's just natural for them. I've got a few apple trees and some cherry bushes, and I'm here to tell you, I don't have to make them work to produce their fruit. I do have to pay somebody to make them work to produce the things I need to. One is the flesh. One is the spirit. One just begins to come naturally as you grow and let the Holy Spirit rise up and grow in you. One just, I don't have to go up to my apple tree and punch it in the trunk and say, you better start growing apples. It just does. All I have to do is protect it, keep the bugs off of it, watch over it, and just give it the environment and make sure the soil is good and it will naturally produce. But so many of us are like, come on, you got to be more patient. Come on, I got to be more loving. Come on, I got to have more faith. And we get mad at ourselves because we're not like that. And you're trying to produce spiritual fruit under the work of the flesh. It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen. So Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, he tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. Galatians 5, 22, it says, but... So he's contrasting the natural works, the things that we work at to try to make it happen and what should come naturally for the Christian. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I love the word forbearance. Some translations say patience. Some translations say endurance. Anybody that's ever ran long distance knows you have a point where you can run and you're good. But every marathon runner will tell you, you get to mile about mile 13, your body hits a wall and you literally think your body is going to collapse. And the reason most people don't run a 26-mile marathon, one, is because Proverbs says the wicked run when no one's chasing them. So there's that, right? So that's in Proverbs and that's biblical. Don't run unless the wicked are chasing you. But then there are other people who just run because they like to run. 
right? And every marathon runner will tell you, no matter how in shape they are, somewhere around mile 13, their body physically hits a wall and they have to mentally push through it. And once they mentally push through mile 13 and get to mile 14 and 15, the second wind starts to kick in and they can run another 13 miles. But most people will quit when they hit that barrier because it literally feels like your body is going to collapse. Right? Listen, when the gun's fired for the first mile, two mile, three mile, four mile, six, eight miles, you're not enduring anything. You're just running. Endurance starts when the pain starts. I'm enduring for Jesus. Well, how's the pain? Not very much. Well, honey, you're not enduring. There's nothing to endure unless there's pain. And one of the spiritual gifts is to endure and to live through the pain and to fight on. That's what forbearance means, right? Fruit is beneficial, it's healthy, and it's delicious. And Jesus says, that for the Christian, these things should just naturally be growing in us. Now, does the fruit show up right away? Right? Farmers in here, when you plant corn and that first, that first bud comes up out of the ground, does it have corn on it? No. Some of us think as soon as I get saved, everything's got to change right away. Listen, your language may not change. Your, your, your bad habits may not change. But as you grow, you begin to grow into things. You see, the seed, you ready for this? All seeds to produce fruit have to die. Every seed that produces fruit first has to die underground where nobody can see it. Nobody knows what's going on. It dies there and it begins to push up through so it can bask in the sun. There are places in our life that we have to die to that nobody knows anything about. You might have a struggle, you might have an issue that nobody knows anything about. You got to die to that first. And here's what I can tell you because Paul says that the old man, the old way of living before the Holy Spirit is placed inside of us and we hit the reset button and we go. He says the old man is dead. Can I tell you something about dead people? They don't pull on you. If you've struggled with a sin or an issue in your life and it's still pulling on you, you're not dead to it yet. Dead things don't pull on living things. You got to kill it. And some of us are somehow okay with zombies in our lives that have been dead and they still chasing us and pulling at us. And I said, no, look, you're dead. I crucified you. This is the beauty of the Christian walk. The beauty of the Christian walk says, the world tells me I'll always be an alcoholic. But the Christian life says, no, 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 you can kill that thing. You can kill, you know how I know? Because I know too many Christians that can walk into a bar that were once alcoholics and they're not even tempted. I know too many Christians that used to smoke and they can walk and hang around smoke and they're not even tempted. It doesn't even smell good to them anymore. The Bible says you can put that thing to death. You can kill it. Oh, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what happens? Trees and plants, as Jesus uses this parable, if you really think this through the way Jesus says, now I want you to think when I tell you this, they grow. So the person that you were when you got baptized and gave your life to Christ isn't the same person a year from now or two years from now or three years from now. You grow, you change in Christ's likeness. 
Trees need sun. They need soil. They need water. They need conditions. They have to pollinate. What does all that mean? It means you have to have things in your life to cause you to grow spiritually. If you don't put the things in your life to grow spiritually, you'll never bust through the soil. You'll never bust through and begin to grow. So what, what, um, what causes a Christian to grow? Well, I'm going to give you three easy things to grow you spiritually, okay? There are three things to grow spiritually. Number one, and it starts with all of us. We hear the gospel, we hear the message of Jesus Christ, and we start to hunger for it. Hmm, I, I, there's something to that. There's something about that. I, I think I want that. I'm not sure what it is, but I think I want that. And you start to hunger for it, right? You start to get hungry for it. And when you get hungry for something, you go in the direction of it. When, I'm, when it's 10 o'clock at night and the movie's just getting good and I need a snack because I need to do something with my hands other than sit and play on my phone, I go to the kitchen because I'm hungry and I need a snack. I go where the food is. I don't go, hey, hungry, I'm, I need a, honey, I need a snack and I'm hungry. I'm going to go out to the shed and get on the tractor. Gee, I mean, my wife has given me a lot of looks in her lifetime, but I promise you, that look would top them all. She's like, what's out in that shed that I don't know about? <laughs> like, what goodies are he, is he hiding out there? When you're hungry for something, you go in the direction of it. When you're hungry for God, you go in the direction of God. When you're hungry for food, you go in the direction of food. And what do you do? You consume it. Like I said earlier, it's one thing to have a couch on fire. It's another thing to have the entire house on fire. And when you get hungry and it consumes you, you're like, yes. And you just keep eating and you keep eating and you keep eating and you keep eating. But here's a beautiful thing about keep, when you keep eating in the spiritual world. Being spiritually fat is healthy. Oh. You mean in the spiritual world, I could just eat my Bible and eat, 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 and pray, and pray, and pray, and worship, and worship, and worship, and grow, and grow? Yes, you're supposed to be spiritually fat. That's healthy. See, the spiritual world is so different than the natural world. We, we need some people that are spiritually fat. We need some spiritually obese people. Anybody, anybody want to get fat? Raise your hand right now. I want to get, tell your neighbor, I'm going to get fat right now. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to get fat. Turn to the other neighbor and say, I'm not fat enough. I need to get fatter. In the spiritual world, fat is good. You want that. And so when you begin to get hungry for God, you go in the direction of God. You begin to consume God. The second point is this. As you hunger for something, you begin to love it. Don't ask me why, but when I'm sick, I want comfort food. You know what comfort food is? Szechuan chicken. You're like, why are you sick eating Chinese? I don't know. I don't know. But for me, Szechuan chicken is comfort food. It, it, can, it can't just be, it's got to be like from one or two Chinese restaurants. Don't get Szechuan chicken, you know, from that place over there because it ain't the same as that Szechuan chicken. But when you begin to love something, and you, you hunger for it, you begin to love it, you begin to want it. Here's what else I found. When you love something, you obey it, and the obedience creates discipline. You see, discipline is an outgrowth of love. Anytime you love something, you're disciplined to grow in it. 
The problem is some of us don't love God enough, so we're not disciplined enough in the things of God to grow in the things of God. Love breeds discipline. If I love basketball, I'm disciplined to show up at practice early. I'm disciplined to stay after to get better. When you love something, you get disciplined at it. And so we got a hunger for God. When we hunger for that, it grows our love for it. And as we love, and the third one is as you love something, you begin to produce whatever that thing is that you love, right? And so when you begin to produce something, you begin to change. Things change in you. You begin to see things different. Like, oh my gosh, I wasn't doing this before. I'm reading... Oh my gosh, I just read my Bible for 15 minutes instead of five minutes. You begin to notice changes in your life spiritually. And as you begin to change and you make the observation that my life is different than it was, then I want more of it. And I get hungry for it. And then as I hunger for it, I love it. And as I love it, I begin to produce it. And as I see what the production does, I hunger for more of it. And it becomes a vicious cycle until suddenly you are just growing spiritually in ways that you never thought possible. You're praying for people that are sick and they're getting healed. And you're telling people stuff about their life that they didn't even know. They didn't think anybody knew it. And they're like, how did you know it? I'm like, I don't know. God just told me to say it. And so I said it. And you begin to grow. It's a vicious cycle that you happens and you ramp it up slowly and as you begin to in that cycle you begin to grow as you begin to grow you begin to produce fruit you're like oh my gosh i'm more loving i would have never loved my neighbor like that five years ago i i've got more joy i i I face that moment of seasonal depression and that moment of seasonal depression isn't so bad in my life anymore. You begin to notice things as you grow spiritually. You begin to produce the fruit. Now, why do we produce fruit? And this is last verse. We're going to wrap this up. So in Proverbs, Proverbs 11.30, Proverbs 11.30 says this, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and the one, who, the one who is wise saves lives. You know what the beautiful thing about a fruit tree is? Not only does it produce delicious apples, pears, and so on, it also produces shade. Not only can you sit under its shade and feel the breeze and cool off, you can reach up and grab it. Do you know that the purpose of a fruit is to reproduce the whole idea when a tree begins to grow an apple is to say, I need to make more apple trees. And so what does it do? It begins to produce an apple with seeds in it. So those seeds, when they hit the ground, produce another apple tree. Here's what happens. As you begin to grow in fruit and your tree begins to grow and you begin to grow spiritually, you hit that reset button, you begin to grow, people will begin to take shelter under you. How's come you're not depressed? Because they just said they were going to lay us all off. How's come you're not how come you seem to have a decent attitude about this whole thing? They're taking shelter under your tree. And they're going to reach up and grab the fruit that the Holy Spirit's producing in your life, whether it's joy, love, peace, whatever it is that they see in you that's attracted, to the, that's attracted them to you. Your job as a Christian is to reproduce yourself. The problem is we have too many Christians that think my life is, Christianity is just supposed to make my life better. I show up to church, I do the things Jesus does, and Jesus helps me out and he saves me. Your job, the Bible says right here in Proverbs eleven thirty, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. You know what the word wise means in Hebrew? Skill. The one who has skill 
will bring others to Jesus. The one who has skill, now how do I get that skill? I grow in the fruit, right? I grow in that fruit. And then what? Let me, let me just share with you some things that I, that I do, and the band can come on out. Some of the things that I do just to connect with people, right? This is some of the skill. Hands-on, I'll just give you some practical application of how I bring people to Jesus. You ready? It's really deep. Oh, I noticed you got an Alabama shirt on. You got, you're, you're, tied, you're a Roll Tide fan? Okay, don't throw anything at me, right? Or, or I might say something like, so do you drink green tea a lot? That's how I bring people to Jesus. You're like, how does that lead to Jesus? It develops a relationship. And as they get to know me, they begin to see the fruit of my life, and they want to know what that is. It's that simple. Oh, I've got flour, but I'm going to go next door and ask my neighbor if I can borrow a cup of flour. Why? Because I need to better connect with them. I need to connect with them. I'm going to intentionally go over and borrow my neighbor's leaf blower so I can develop a relationship with them. And I'm going to return the leaf blower better than how it came when I borrowed it. Right? It's all an attempt. It's all in an effort to make a door for the Holy Spirit to move in their life. The question we have to ask ourselves as Christians is this. Do you expend your life for the eternity of others? Will I expend my life for the eternity of others? And in closing, I just want to say this. That as you bear fruit, as you go out and bear fruit and produce the fruit, as you grow, some of you might just be in your spiritual walk. Some of you might just be busting through the ground. Some of you in your spiritual walk, this might be season number four, that you're a tree full of apples or a stalk full of corn. Wherever you're at in that spiritual growth, keep growing. Because the whole purpose of fruit is to reproduce itself. Easter's coming up. We have two Easter services, Saturday evening at 5 o'clock, Sunday morning at 10.30 at our normal time. Listen, if they can't get out of bed on Sunday morning, bring them Saturday night. We're doing this for a reason. We want you to invite your friends. We're, gonna, we're renting the four lapel billboard. We're putting our Easter service on that billboard for a reason. Bring your family. Bring your friends. We've got some really cool stuff planned for Easter. Expend your life for the eternity of others because in the end, it's the only thing that's gonna matter. In closing, like that's the second or third time I've said that. My sister went out and did one of those ancestry DNA tests. And it came back. And it came back exactly what I thought it would. So that was cool. But here's what God laid on my heart. He goes, your ancestry DNA, it's only going to matter for 90 years. Because once you shed that body, you're coming to a new home and a new land. You have... He goes, I've placed in you, in Hebrews it tells us, God literally places his DNA inside of us when we accept Christ. That's a whole other sermon series. He literally puts his spiritual DNA in us. He goes, you're only going to be that nationality for 90 years. And then, he goes, so why don't you focus on the nationality that you will forever be? Let's stand up. Let's... Let's be a people that grows fruit and produces 30, 60, and some of us even 100 times. 
let's be good soil. Say, God, I, I want to be that soil that produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. Could you imagine over the course of your life, if you brought 30 people to Jesus, 60 people to Jesus, 100 people to Jesus, could you imagine what that would be like? Because then that 30 goes and each one of them reach another 30 and another 30, and guess where it started? You. And you know what you get rewarded for in heaven? You're 30, and then they're 30, and then they're 30, and then they're 30. It's going to be awesome. You stand before God, and he says, turn around. I want you to see everybody you brought with you. I want that. And I want that for you guys. And we're going to be a church that does that. We're going to be a church that expends our lives for the eternity of others. We're going to close out in a song, and I'm going to ask if Lynn and Jesse would come down on this side and and I'm going to ask if uh, Aaron and Lori would come down on this side. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, if you're here this morning, maybe, maybe you've invited Jesus into your life, but you've not given him the house to catch on fire. Jesus, oh, you can't go in that part of my life. Don't touch that part. And you're here and you realize maybe there's some stuff you just need to hand over to Jesus. Would you come forward as we close out in song? We want to pray with you. And if you're here this morning, maybe Jesus never even caught your, caught your soul on fire for him. Maybe you've never fully made Jesus your Lord and controller of your life. And you want to do that this morning. They want to do that with you. They want to pray with you. So let's sing this out this morning.